This is Raesis here on KZSM.org, True Community Radio here in downtown San Marcos, Texas. On Sunday night, this is the 13th of November uh, 2022. And Kathy, welcome back into the studio. Well, it's good to be back. And uh, so let's uh, talk about your cast here tonight. So we have on the show today David Montelongo. And um, I'm going to give Mr. Montelongo the opportunity to um, uh, introduce himself and tell us a little bit about himself. And I'd like for him to also tell us a little bit about his mom and his dad. Okay. So welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. So you, you were born and raised here in San Marcos? Yes. I was born and raised over by Purgatory Creek you know where it is so and here in town or a little bit out uh side no, right, over with right in town okay it's about uh uh from waterloo street it's about maybe two blocks mm-hmm. on that so i got to see a lot of a lot of uh growth especially back then um nowadays the creek is uh dry to a certain degree but we used to have standing water there and uh, actually it had uh, about a three to four deep depth where the water would be there 20 I mean 12 12 months out of the year but we had a drought and that's when it uh, dried up and now it's just plain you wouldn't know it was a creek on that part. So is it like a Nojito or, or like a, a spring uh, a spring there, a small a water spring? No, it, uh, well, I mean, Purgatory Creek starts, uh, well, I didn't even realize it. Yeah, it goes all the back. way back, yes. yeah, behind Willow Creek and <clears throat> back that way. Well, I so, mean, it goes all the way back up to, uh, you're headed out towards Wimberley, mm-hmm. and if you go out uh, Ranch Road 12, and uh, go on out to uh, uh, and head off uh, uh, up that direction there. Uh, uh, if you go to the left there where the uh, glass company is. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Oh, Hugo Road. Uh, Hugo, thank you. And uh, back <laughs> yes. out. It's way back up in there. And uh, But you had uh, in the 70s after the flooding, you had J.J. Pickle uh, came and uh, created the uh, two dams that we've got on the creek right now that uh number one it's flood control it's going to keep it uh but number two uh it they took a lot of that standing water a lot of the the you know where you had that water flowing it's now where it goes down into the aquifer that was the other reason that they they did that back up there right they uh, well my family went to to two floods mm. so the 70, 70 and 72 72 and then urban renewal came in and they bought us out and that's when my my parents built on mlk on that one right there so on perk on close to the purgatory so 
more or less where was the home that your mother and father had? Was it like on Guadalupe Street or LBJ? No, it, was or? On, it was on Jackman Street. On Jackman Street, okay. Yes, but looking at it from the purgatory side, you can all, you could see the uh, Guadalupe Street mm -hmm. on that part. So we weren't really that we're not we weren't really that that far from downtown. No, to begin with at all. So what year did your mom and dad move uh, into, I guess in the Dunbar area, I guess that's what we call it, because we had a conversation here where we talked about there were a lot of Hispanic people living in that Dunbar area. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people get the idea that it was primarily African-American. Uh, uh, African African so what year did your mom and dad move uh, there uh, into Jackman Street? <clears throat> I guess probably when they got married. On that, because I was right. I mean, I was born in that area. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was born. My grandmother lived in, in one side, and then she, she had a big enough a lot where we built two houses on that. And then we outgrew where we lived, so my dad bought across the streets, and we lived there until 1976. <clears throat> That's when Urban Renewal bought them out. And uh, now we own, well, my son owns it, the house on uh, MLK. Now, when they bought you out, did they raise the house to the ground? Did they, or what did they do when they bought those? They gave uh, an opportunity at that time. They gave you an opportunity to buy the house back and move it to a lot that you, that you purchased. Or you relinquish, and they would give you a lump sum to build a new house. In fact... One of my dad's friends, Jesse Salcedo, brought his bought his house and he moved it to uh, to his present location. On Over that. on C.M. Allen. Yes. So that house that the Salcedos currently live in used to belong to your dad. Used to yes. be your family home. Correct. But he he upgraded and uh, made it bigger on that. But yeah, that was that was our house. So they would go, and so when you go and you look at Purgatory Creek now, if you were to go down Guadalupe from this radio station here and you were to head towards I-35 and you look over, you will see a lot of, you know, open pasture kind of green area. Right. But that was area that at one time had homes built right up to the creek that when they went through they said you know we just can't keep having this flooding going on and having the you know so we're going to go in ahead and buy you out move you and give you these options but we are going to keep this so that it is uh folks are not living in the flood zone well <clears throat> what the i guess the concept that the city had was so that you won't have to go through all of this on that part and my dad fought with the city for years about the creek. But they won't listen to him because uh, I guess they felt he didn't know anything of that. But my dad worked for the highway department, so he knew a lot about roads. He knew a lot about construction on that part. And he kept arguing with them that if they would not, if they would put like a channel this, the water would stand there and they would alleviate a lot of the floods that were occurring because we never had any problems with the floods prior to that. But, and I had a conversation with the city also and they more or less like, you don't know, 
<laughs> and and this begins our love affair with the city, love hate relationship. <laughs> but in in here we are, you know, years later, still trying to channel, still trying to do uh, a lot of the work they just got done over on Purgatory, over behind the uh, Dunbar Center, uh, putting in a retention pond there to take care of a lot of the runoff. You know, as uh, because what's happening is we're now more and more building on the floodplain uh or not on the floodplain but building that that water is now racing down into the floodplain and so you know we've got to do something with that and they're ending up doing the channel that you well know, you my, to do a long my time ago. concept my idea that i have as far as why they don't listen to us because we don't have pictures available of how the creek really was back up to before 1970. I think we started losing the concept around the 60s, late 60s on that. If they could see that, I think that the city would take a different approach on it. I did talk to one of the engineers and he, he more or less made a comment that they were gonna do something about it, but it's been about over three years now and I haven't seen anything. Well, you know, it's interesting, Kathy, uh, just uh, down the street from your home, uh, there are on uh, Hunter Road, uh, Hopkins, there there are two new flood gauges that just went in. I saw that. And those were after the fact of when they brought, they, they put in the bridge over uh, uh, Purgatory Creek, and they expected that to take care of it. And then what happened? The water backed up, and the water, uh, they had that uh, significant flooding on Halloween of 2015. And so they're just now getting around to marking that. Uh, and and here they hadn't expected that to happen either, for that water to go over by your house. And, and that was all the changes uh, that I, I see. So uh, it, it's interesting that it, the city still forgets, okay? <laughs> I mean, this is even, you know, I, I have to go and to repost pictures of, you know, the nice thing about Facebook is that I've got all these pictures that I posted back in the times when we've had flooding here before the bridges came in and even after the time. You well, know? you know, and it's a revolving door there at the city. People come, a lot mm -hmm. of people, they just make their career here and then they're gone. And they don't uh, think about coming to talk to the residents and I remember um, um, Mr. Espinosa who lived across the street from us two houses down Dipe they call him Dipe and he would always talk about because he worked for the city and he would always talk about how um, he knew where everything was in the department that that he was in but all these new people that were coming in you know two or three years would go down and they would know where to find uh, you know a, a sewage place mm -hmm. or you know a manhole and then they're spending all this money when all they have to do is go knock on his door pay him a consulting fee and say hey come help us tell us where do we find this but it's because we're, we're ever <coughs> so quickly moving and they don't take that time to come to a neighborhood and say tell us what the problem is they think they've got it all figured out and, mm -hmm. and they don't come and ask you for your opinion even though you've been there 10 20 30 years and you can say well this is how it used to be and then and sometimes even when you do tell them they they don't take that into account well i i, I um, had a conversation with uh with the city when uh total sold out <clears throat> and i was trying to get them to understand that that wasn't a good place for an apartment complex 
street is not big enough. The facilities around there was not big enough. We had yeah. the creek. And, and I told him, I said, you don't understand because none of you are from San Marcos, except. So if you don't know anything about San Marcos, you only go by what you read. And that makes, I said, there's two ways of looking at it, what you read and the reality of things. And right now we have a problem between the Purgatory Creek, the Blanco River, the same thing. The Blanco River does not have the depth that it used to have. And they, have, they haven't cleaned it up. And I think that there's a lot of conflicts behind that because the citizens that live close to the Blanco River own up until half of the of the of the river, river. you know, mm -hmm. and I didn't know that. Well, you have ac access to so yeah. state state law, but they still can dictate whether you can go into that property or not. And I didn't know that until my son told me about it. <laughs> you know. Right. It's the and it's if it's a navigable river, if the water is there standing, mm -hmm. and that's a whole different. Uh, uh, than if it is a dry dry riverbed, mm -hmm. you know, but it's still uh, Texas law uh, mandates that if it's a navigable river uh, that uh, you still have property rights uh, mm -hmm. up to, you know, but the state, anybody can go down that river and down the center of it, but your your property uh, extends out there. Mm -hmm. so. so now that we have the apartment there, we see the conflicts that are going arising. Well, and they built up uh, right along there uh, for that apartment. They built that up almost about six or seven feet uh, from uh, that embankment, you know, along the creek. And I've always wondered, you know, what's going to happen when we have that next major flood. What, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what the effect is going to be on that apartment. Well, I w was very, uh, how can I say it? I was very, uh, I constantly at the planning and zoning meetings when that was going on. And the planning and zoning meetings they came up with, they would approve the, the building, was, but they had to improve the purgatory before they could do that. Well, come to find out that the builder said, I'm not gonna do that. So they compromised. And I thought that was really, to me personally, okay, that you're giving in to a, a developer because they come in with all this money. But the problem is they don't have enough parking on these apartments to accommodate the attendants. <clears throat> and to me, that's my biggest gripe because you have cars parked all over the place. And now that the city passed where you can park, it's a public street that you can park anywhere, well, you don't have a say-so. 
And so now you've got those, uh, the, the folks there, they don't have anywhere else to park. So what they're doing is coming back down into the Dunbar neighborhood and parking. And those streets are you know, narrow. There's some blind corners coming around there. Uh, there's some issues uh, just in being able to, to see and for, for folks speeding along through there. Yeah. I like I said it's it, and it's a it's a and this neighborhood over here where Dunbar where the uh, uh, MLK area is now they're talking about being making it a historical some of the some of the buildings are already historical but they're talking about doing the whole MLK or that area historical which is good to a certain degree but how much more are we going to have to see as far as all of this development right. that's going on or has been going on around the city well and that that Dunbar neighborhood has has changed drastically because we also had that conversation here about when we were younger and we we drive down Dunbar, and you would see a lot of the younger uh, African American kids live there playing, you know, on the on the courts. And you would see, you know, the people that you knew, Mr. Calvin was there, the Williams were there. And now you drive down, and it doesn't even look like what old Dunbar used to be. But there are a lot a lot more um, Angles living in the neighborhood now, um, and so it's changing. And it's kind of sad that these changes are coming now. They should have come a long, long time ago to try to preserve the neighborhood, but you just you, you just don't see that. Uh, you know that church there. They've been talking about preserving that for such a long time, and it, they're still in 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 trying to do something there. But it seems kind of like they pick and choose what they want to preserve and and what they choose not to. So it's going to be quite interesting to see what happens to the Dunbar neighborhood as we move forward. Well, hey, let's hold on to that thought. We do need to take a quick uh, station ID break. Uh, you're listening to Riasis here on KCSM.org, True Community Radio. And just as a reminder, the views expressed on the show are those of the hosts and the guests and not necessarily those of KCSM or SMTXCRA. We're going to be right back with you. Bosques locales son lugares de maravilla y están más cerca de lo que crees. Haz que el bosque forme parte de tu historia. Encuentra uno cerca de ti en descubreelbosque.org. Traído a ti por el Servicio Forestal de los Estados Unidos y la Council. ¿Listos para nuestra pequeña aventura al bosque? Porque todo crece, todo cambia de la tierra, salen plantas sin mirar atrás, ¡Llegamos! ¡Wow! ¿Eso fue rápido? Hay un bosque más cerca de lo que piensas. Encuentra un parque o bosque cerca de ti y música inspirada en la naturaleza en descubreelbosque.org. Traído a ustedes por USDA Forest Service y el Ad Council. De acuerdo, seamos sinceros. Puede que la Sinfónica Nacional no esté en su futuro, pero quiso probar el violín. Usted dijo sí porque lo ama. Y si tanto lo ama, ámelo lo suficiente como para asegurarse de que tiene el cinturón abrochado en el asiento trasero. Averigüe más sobre cómo mantener a sus hijos a salvo en su vehículo en nhtsa.gov-protegidos. Demuéstreles que los ama. 
Manténgalos a salvo. Visite nhtsa.gov diagonal protegidos. Presentado por la National Highway Traffic Safety Administration y el ARCO. Ladies and gentlemen y toda mi gente, my name is Josh, also known as DJ Alpha in the mix, and I am the host of the all-new Latin Energy Show on KZSM.org San Marcos. I'm inviting everyone to tune in every Thursday afternoon from 4 to 6 p.m. and join the Latin Energy Party. It's all about community connection here, so tune in, support, and we'll see you on kzsm.org. And we're back with you here live in the KZSM studio, and uh, there we go. So we were talking about historical uh, designations in the historical neighborhoods, and I had uh, brought up with someone earlier this week, they were talking about it was a shame that uh, over at the Starplex, they are breaking it, they are uh, demolishing it. That is over there off of Wonder World and I-35, and they're going to be putting in some apartments there, and that was the old movie theater, and they had this neat, uh, some artwork. I saw some of the pictures that were posted of the, um, you know, Hollywood art that they had, and, you know, with all of the the girders and everything else kind of sticking up around it. Just it was a really a, a, a juxtaposition of uh, the old and, and the new. But it's, you know, how old was it? I think you were talking uh, that, you know, this is built in, what, 90s, early 90s over there. I think, I'm not quite sure, but I think it's about 10 or 15 years old. I don't think yeah. it's more than 20 years old on that part because uh, I've lived yeah. in that area. It was here when when I came to San Marcos in 2003. I know that the the Starplex was there. And oh, I had to be I, around that time. So I don't know how many years or whatever. It wasn't too much longer than that. And you know, and then we still have the uh, the older uh, uh, one here downtown. And we still have that one hasn't been demolished yet, and I don't know what we're going to do. But it, you know, what is historic and what's not? And you know, we had the uh, uh, we had something with a designation, uh, the telephone company here uh, over on San Antonio Street that was uh, uh, destroyed, mm-hmm. and everyone was up in an uproar about that. And here, you know, you had a designation. So I don't know. I mean, you know, are we going to be able to? What do we save, and are we going to be able to save it? Is is always the the big question. But but it's designated by the historical commission. That's what we're talking about, right? Yeah. Okay, but you still own that piece of property as as a, a private individual. So if you decide to sell it, then then the whoever purchased it decides what they want to do with it. So I guess that's kind of the the road that you're going on. I mean, yeah. wh- what do you save? What don't you save? Uh, and and I guess that's it. Is that you know we had something that had a designation here with the phone company that was uh, you know the old building that had a national historical designation and we still didn't save that. So, you know, it's going to be, I guess, a lot of this is depending on who's here to be an activist to remind the the city about these historical designations. Well, from my understanding on a historical uh, piece of property is that that you have to go by the guidelines of the historical commission on that. And I, I know that for a fact because when we had the business here in, on the square, I know the the downtown commit. They had 
a certain guidelines that you could do and not do. Storefront, mm -hmm. the paint that you use to exterior to paint that property. Right, we had to go and to get uh, to go to the historical commission to get a, uh, uh, a waiver for the uh, antenna here on the uh, roof of the station that we have. But one of the things that I, I'm 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 very I guess in a way I'm glad and in a way I'm not is that they did recognize Dunbar as uh, historical mm -hmm. right now because. That's where the African Americans went to school there. It's similar, same thing with the Centrum. Now, it's where we started going to school, or I did on that part. And what I told the school district was it's a shame that they sold the high school that's on Hutchinson Street. Because I also went there one year before they, they opened, the, which was now a good night on that part. But being at Centro, when I was going to high school, we were, we were kids that didn't know any better. We didn't know anything. It was just all of us looked alike. You know, we just, okay, the community, the, the surroundings that we were, we were, we were in, you know. And then uh, we went to do the fourth and fifth was up here at uh, Evans Auditorium, and I th I don't know what it is now. It used to be the psychology room, I mean building at uh, Texas State. But then we would go to Travis for six, seven, and eight, and then nine to twelve was at uh, high school on uh, Hutchinson. So between Central, or which used to be Southside, and the high school, it had a very unique feeling at that part. And only the persons that were there could realize it. And to me, I'll never forget that. So yeah. what year were you there at Southside? And at that point, I'm going to assume that it was still a segregated school at Southside at that time? Yes, I was there from 1950 to 1953. Mm -hmm. It was first, second, and third oh. on that. And so when you went into school and you, you were talking about how you know, it was still segregated, but, you know, everyone, you know, looked the same as you. You didn't have that. When was it that you started to get that interaction with others in the school? When, you know, when was it at high school or were you still segregated at the high school level? Well, well, they no. desegregated here at the high school in 1948, I believe, or 49, no, the at the high school. was in 1960. Well, uh... Yeah, because Nick was in. We were second, second, We were already segregated on fourth grade. Okay. So it, by that time, it was you were starting to get that mix. Okay. But we looked at one another. Okay, well, we we, we didn't know any better. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we and that that was as far as my concern was concerned. I mean, it was like, okay, well, I'm I'm dark. <laughs> so was that the first time that you noticed that there was a difference from? children yes it, okay 
I mean, I, and but we didn't think about it at all, you know, or that. Even when I uh, ninth grade at the high school, which was at that time on Hutchinson, and of course, I was in the in the high school band, so we had a different uh, uh, attitude because all of us didn't look at one another. To me, we didn't look at like you're Hispanic or you're Mexican or you're wetback, whatever they wanted to call us at that time, you know. But it was uh, it was more of a unity. And I saw it when my son was in high school that they had also the same bond. It's a different feeling. I mean, you have to go through it to really, yeah. really understand it because it, they have a different concept on that. So what instrument did you play? I'm sorry? What instrument did you play? I play saxophone. Saxophone. So uh, did did you do jazz or just, you know? No, no, no. I was a professional musician. I started playing professionally at uh, 12 years old. Oh, neat. Okay. And I got off the road uh, when I was 30. Okay, is that another? Yeah, that's so, that's the other yeah. thing. I'm added down <laughs> but, to but I'm, I'm sorry, Kathy. No, you that's take okay. the show. I, I wanted to ask you this question because you know we hear so much about you know the from the older generation about the the racism and the segregation that 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 they they had, but you feel that by the time you were there, that a lot of that had already was slowly going away or had gone away because you didn't you didn't see or feel that part of the racism that had been here at one time well the racism was there but it wasn't really to me it wasn't really that much of it i started noticing more when my son started going to school and i started having problems and when he started school and and uh uh, kindergarten on that. Uh, we named him Roberto and I explained to him the reason why I had named him that. And my concept to that was it's a strong strong name, first name. Uh, there were some uh, individuals that had obtained status by going by their given name on that part. So I instilled in him about that, and uh, I made him feel that he is proud to feel uh, to have this name. But the teachers wanted to change his name on that. Hmm. And <clears throat> they sort of took it out on him, you know, at times. And I would, I would say, and I, when he would go into, into like first, second, and third, I would tell the teachers, you know, well, they wanted to do it their way. And my son would not respond to them. And they, and they would get offended by it. And, and I told him, I said, you know. So it, it was, a, he had a little conflict behind it, but he stood his ground on that part. And I was very um, grateful for it because now, you still go by that. And when he makes a presentation or himself, he calls the, the name, you know. And, and to this date, he's still very proud of himself, you know, on that part. But I saw it with him. 
And then I wanted to ask you, you mentioned that um, the property on Jackman, that your grandmother owned some property there. Was that uh, your maternal or your paternal grandmother? Mother or father? Mother. Ma mother's yeah. mother? <laughs> and what, what were their names? They were Martinez. Martinez. Yes. And that was another one, too, because everybody looked to me. Even now, I didn't realize that the people really did not know that I was a Martinez oh. here in town until my mother died. And, uh, and of course, I was never around because I was always out mm -hmm. on the road. So people didn't see me uh, too often, you know, on that part. And just to give a little history of the Martinez family that we're talking about, was uh, his name was Aurelio? Aurelio Martinez. Martinez. Yes. And uh, he started a business, and we had uh, Krista from Victory uh, Royal Cleaners who was here. Mm -hmm. Mr. Martinez was uh, Mr. Uh, Gomez's partner. Yeah, and okay. now they're the owners of Victory Cleaners over on uh, LBJ. And then you had, uh, is it another aunt that lived on MLK that I remember from when I was much younger? Did you have an aunt that lived on, I'm sorry, on uh, Mitchell Street? Yes. On Mitchell Street. What was her name? Josefina. Josefina. I remember her from when yeah. I was much younger. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so that he comes from the Martinez family there. And then uh, do we need to take a station break yet? Or? Yeah, let's okay. take a quick station okay. ID break. We're going to be right back. This KCSM.org True Community Radio will be right back with you. Do you love listening to great music? Are you interested in topics that can blow your mind? Do you like having a good time when listening to the radio? If so, then listen to Into the Gray, Friday mornings, 10 till noon. Into the Gray is a public interest radio program we can all enjoy. That's Into the Gray, Friday mornings, 10 a.m. until noon on KZSM.org in San Marcos, Texas. And we're back here in the studio. And uh, okay, Kathy. Um, when we were talking, you mentioned earlier um, about the historical uh, commission, and um, you were talking about the building over here on um, Guadalupe Street. And you had a you ran a business uh, out of that building, right? And it was a printing. Correct. Yes. And what was the name of the printing place? It was Espinosa Espinosa's Graphics. Graphics. Yes. And how long? How for how many years did you own that? We bought that business, I think, in 94, and I sold it in 2004. So 10 years. Back to the Espinosa. To the Espinosa? Yes. And they're no longer there in that building? No, James bought it, and then uh, he uh, he decided that he, he didn't want it. You know, it's a lot of headaches. Yeah. And a lot of, it, and, and, and the industry was changing also. Yeah, you I'm were going from the printing. You were able to now print um, stuff at home and yes, online and well, it uh, it uh, at that time I saw that the industry was changing, and I would have had to upgrade more into the copy business on that, and then my wife had uh, an operation, so I said, you know what. She said, I don't want to do it no more. So I, you know, like, like the Godfather says, I'll make an offer you can refuse. <laughs> so 
I had saying, I said, won't you take it back, James? And I had wanted them to take it back, you know, on that part. But uh, finally he said, yes, I'll take it, okay. So he took it back, and, and I was very, very grateful because this really was their business, you know, on that part. But it was an experience. It was a really good experience for me. And then you also talked about um, you were a musician, and I know that you used to do, uh, you worked as a promoter as well. Right. So yes. talk, talk to me a little bit about the, the promotions part of it, because I've always been interested. I've, I've never really understood how, how that worked. How did, you know, did you have a stable of bands? Did you just book a band, you know, venue? Explain to me <laughs> how that works. Well, I, I was... Uh, I was on one side of the of the of the music for a long time, which was music played played so in do, a band. You played for a band. What was the name of the band you played with? Oh, I played with different bands. I was uh, I started at uh, like I said, at 12 years old. I started with my uncle, and and uh, he taught me and my cousin Roy. All right, so I would go with him whenever he played. And I played with uh, Roy Montelongo. Yeah, I've heard okay. of him. Yeah. So then, then we picked up a, a group here uh, in high school. It was a rock and roll group, you know. So then we picked uh, the Spinozas and ourselves. We picked up, or they picked up a group for the Hispanic culture. And we played for about two or three years on that part. And then I ventured out. I ventured out to Austin to different different groups. I played with conjuntos. I played with like an orchestra. Uh, combos, orchestras, you know, on that part. And then in 1974, my cousin and I uh, decided to, to form a band. And we toured for a whole year together. And by that time, I, I, he said, David, I'm tired. I want to get out. You know, I want to rest. I said, good. I'm ready to. <laughs> so I was tired. I was really was tired. I was I was old by that time. I, Thirty was not old, but to me, it was it was a big. You spent uh, a lot of time on the road by that time. So and, and it was time for me to settle down. And when you were on the road, did you go? Was it all across Texas? Was it across the southeast? No, no, just in Texas. Just yeah. here in Texas. Yes. Okay. So you do like to San Antonio, to Dallas, to Houston? Yes. Okay. The West Texas, all that area. Yeah. It was uh, in, when you're young and when we started out, it's like everything else. The, the sky's the, the, the limit, limit yeah. you know, mm -hmm. on that part. Everybody's going to make it big. Trying to get to make it big is the big, yeah. big obstacle. Some of them make and some of them don't. You so, know. so how much was the pay? I mean, when back then? Yeah, say say when you ended, how much well, did you get paid the, for? Well, the pay was not bad. You know, twenty five dollars, fifty dollars, a hundred dollars a night, hmm. compared to working. I started out working at sixty cents an hour. Hmm. Uh, okay, and then a dollar an hour back in the sixties. Right. So when I came back in the 70s, I hooked up with a group out of Kyle named Mike Salcedo and Latin Image. And we we made real good money with them, and we had some good uh, good times. So it was above average, 
But it's like everything else. You're young, you're dumb, you're crazy. <laughs> By the time you realize it, you already spent the money. You know? right. <laughs> Where to go. Yeah. On that. So it's as one guy we, I was we were in and I'll never forget this. I, with, with my cousin, we played with a lot of the big bands, okay? So we were in, in Rosenberg, and one of these guys named Jimmy Edwards, mm -hmm. he and I were talking, and, and he said, and I don't remember where we had played the night before, and they had played also, but Jimmy said, you know, David, we're here waiting for the audience to come in, but they don't know what we go through behind the scene, you know? And I looked at him, what? Yeah, you know, we practice, we're on the road. They don't know how we got here. Because sometimes you do get a flat, sometimes whatever, you know, you get a miss on that part. And that's when it really dawned on me that it's a business, you know. But we took it as a fun time. It's just fun, yeah. You know. <laughs> but now the groups, take it as a business. And that goes to what you were asking me about the promotions. Uh, when I when I started the promotions, I didn't have no idea whatsoever that I was gonna go into it. A friend of mine, I don't know if you know Dan Campos, he and I are compadres, you know, I baptized, baptized or took him to communion, one of the two. Is, is he had a Kyle? Yeah, one of the kids. So he was doing promotions for the seniors to raise money for the graduation, Hispanic. So one day he says, David, why don't you and I start a promotions? He said, you know everybody. Well, I did know all the bands, you know. N not all of them, but I knew the majority of the bands. So we made about three or four dances and we lost. And Dan said, well, I don't know if I wanna. But I didn't realize that it's, it's a risky business, you know. I said, okay. So we thought about it. My wife said, well, what are you gonna do? I don't know. Well, you're in it, you might as well go for it. <laughs> but I started learning <clears throat> as I went. I, I was able to start talking to a lot of the big bands and that's how I started. And then Sunday and Sunliners one day said, David, to run a, a clear, good prom promoter, have receipts for everything that you do so you can give the bands. Because at that time we used to work commission on that. And I booked Sonny, I booked... Uh, the uh, Jimmy Edwards? Jimmy Edwards, uh, Lil Joe and La Familia, mm. Ruben Ramos, Alfonso, Grupo Mas, uh -huh. uh, La Mafia, Roberto Pulido, and the list goes on, you know, on that. But my biggest, my, my biggest promotion that I ever made were Mas and La Mafia at the Auditorium and in Waco. And then the ultimate goal that I wanted to do was put Little Joe and Moss together. So I obtained that goal. And once I obtained that, 
that was, to me, that was the ultimate that I had done, you know. So I started just making local bands, local groups, or local areas. When the dust settled, I realized that, that I should have just kept on doing them there at the auditorium and booking three or four a year. Because to do a promotion like that, you had to do about three, at least yeah. three months preparation, preparation. Yeah. to do that, right. of that. From the time you talk to a manager and then you get the venue. and How hard was it to put, book a venue? Because, you know, of course, San Marcos really at that time, you know, unless you went to the Guatemala, there really wasn't a place in the beginning. Um, Seguin had um, La Fiesta Ballroom. Right. Uh, New Braunfels had El Conquistador. No, they didn't have it by then. No. They had already sold it. They had already sold it. So Conquistador sold what, like in 78? Yes, somewhere in that area. I started in, in 1980 oh. on that. But I, I, I started Guatemala, and then I started venturing out because some of, like, Grupo Mas had never been this Mm -hmm. to Central A or North. So I brought them in, took them North. Same thing with La Mafia that I took them on that part. With Little Joe, I hadn't worked before. So then I started working with him. And with him, I was going to do, at that time, they had reunited with his brothers. Mm -hmm. Johnny. Johnny and Rocky. And we were going to do the reunion tour, and I was going to be the promoter for Texas. So I was going to do all the promotion for them, for the Texas, everywhere in Texas. But then didn't work out between Joe and Johnny, so Mm -hmm. they fizzled out on that point. (laughs) The chemistry just wasn't there. It wasn't going to make it. Money. Money. <laughs> Money is the root of what I didn't say. It's the root of all evil, yes. but it's not. It's <laughs> so you basically got into the promotions right when a lot of these bands were just were, were just coming out. Moss was getting uh, well-known, what, late, late 70s? 80s. Early 80s, 80s yeah. yeah. And um, Little Joel, of course, you know, he was, what, he was 70? Already yeah, he was already established. Yeah. And La Mafia, too. Um, Tierra Tejano? Did you ever book Tierra Tejano? Uh, yeah, play with Tejano, yes. Yeah, wow. So it, it, it's, it was an interesting deal, you know. And I, when I retired in 14, I was going to do it again. But I had been out of, out of the circuit for so long that everything was so high. The rent for the halls were high. The musicians, you know, the, the bands the were high. The promotions were high. Uh, the bands were high. So I just said, you know what? I better just stay with what I, I did. I accomplished it. Let somebody else take, you know, on that part. Now I want to go back. I've, I've gone back to playing again at times, but now I want to go back. But I want to do it in a different format, you know, on that. You want to uh, go back with some of the bands that you'd had, form some new bands, or just do the solo? I really or? don't want to go back. Uh, we formed a group back in 2008, 
and they wanted to be on the road every weekend. I said, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, Philippa's not going to like that too much. No, I wouldn't be married. <laughs> and, of course, you know, you, you're tired. I mean, it was, it, uh, it was a hard, it was a, it's a hard life. Uh, one guy told me one time, he said, only a musician understands another musician, or they understand one another. Because it's a very unique field, unique profession. And a lot of people say, well, what's it like? It's just all these groupies and all this, and they said, well, not really, you know. It, it's, 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 a, it's a talent that you have and you present it to the public, you know. And of course, on my side, my family goes back to my grandfather. And probably my great-grandfather, too, you know, because they were musicians also. So um, what year did your family make it to San Marcos? Were they, I mean, were they native here, or? My grandmother came, I got a, a deal here. My grandmother originally was born in Monterrey, uh. okay? Uh, my grandfather around that area, too. But I didn't realize, I did uh, ancestry and family search mm -hmm. because I always, uh, I thought my grandparents had come to the United States illegally, you know. And a lot of times they would call me a wetback and I'd say, well, uh, when my grandfather crossed the Rio Grande River, it was knee high, so maybe halfway <laughs> of Mexico, uh, Redback and the other yeah. American, uh, and they would look at me, oh, you're crazy, you know. <laughs> but he passed, he, he passed, my grandfather on my dad's side, he passed over in 1908. Mm -hmm. So that. right right at the start of the Mexican Revolution? Somewhere around yeah. there, and he settled in Nitty Wall, and uh, then his first wife, my dad's mother, got killed by the train. So later on he married and he moved to Donna, Texas, in South Texas over there. And then they raised the second family over there on that part. But uh, on my grandmother's side, My grandfather, my grandmother, as far as I know, only had one sister, okay? My grandfather had seven brothers and one sister, and they all lived here in San Marcos. And what was unique about it, I didn't know that the Garzas, the Mercados, and the Zamoras were related to me. I knew the and the Prados were. I knew they were related, but I didn't know how. Well, my grandfather's brothers' daughters married mm -hmm. into the Garzas, the Zamoras, and the Mercados. And uh, thus goes the term: everybody in San Marcos <laughs> is related. <laughs> yes, uh, it, it does come back around that. So, Kathy, we just got a couple more minutes. Okay. To, and uh, what did you want to uh, finish up with here for the show tonight on well, some questions? Well, um, I wanted to touch up on um, Mr. Montelongo's wife, Felipa. Okay. Uh, she's such a sweet lady. I've known her f since I was young. 
And um, she used to work at HEB, and the majority of my conversations I had with her while she was working at HEB. So tell me a little bit about her job. How long did she work there at HEB? Well, you know? she, started, she started working for Gilman's when she was in high school. Uh -huh. Okay, and then when she got out of high school, she started working for HEB. And, uh, and it was HEB here on? on um, the first one that they had here on LBJ. LBJ. And I, I worked there also up until I got drafted. But she stayed on and she worked in the meat market. And then they offered her a job when they moved to the one that's off of LBJ, Guadalupe, and oh. MLK. Mm -hmm. They offered her a job as a deli manager. So she was a deli manager there for four or five years. Mm -hmm. And then when they opened the big one that's over on uh, Thorpe Lane, Thorpe Lane and uh, Bug Lane 80, Hopkins, yeah. whatever it is now, then because it was going to be a cafeteria at first, and she didn't have the experience behind it, uh, they offered her the assistant. And she was there until 1995. And the, what was her, her maiden name? Rodriguez. Rodriguez. And, and with that, I, I heard you say that uh, you were drafted. And yes. I'm going to assume, did you make it to Vietnam? or? Yes, I went to Vietnam. I, uh, it was an experience. Uh, you know, you... Uh, <clears throat> You go, you patronize your country, you go and do what's asked of you. And it wasn't where I was at, I didn't see any combat because I was a, uh, at a support unit as a uh, teletype operator and it was a headquarters unit. <clears throat> but. We were more in danger because they were always trying to knock out the communications over there. But my biggest setback when I came back home, my first encounter was when I got discharged in, in uh, Oakland, California, and I was going to uh, the airport and all these protesters, all these people calling your names and degrading you. So you encountered that there oh, yeah, at the that airport. Was 23, yeah. 24, somewhere in there, yeah. And, and so they were calling you names and you know just harassing you for being in uniform when you came back, right? And I went and bought a, uh, and I had left most of my clothes, you know, over there. So I went and bought uh, some clothes so that I, I wouldn't be identified. And to this date, I, I have that, I have that negative mentality of how I was treated. It, it, it's an unfortunate, uh, an unfortunate thing that military personnel uh, went went through. That you went in service of your country. And it, 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 it's a very hard p uh, pill to swallow. Um, but I think we're, we're coming to an end. Uh, 
here at the show but you know i hope you do come back i'm, I'm going to extend an invitation <laughs> to have you back because you know these stories are just so fascinating and with that you know we just had veterans day and so i i personally want to thank you for thank your service you. Yes. you know so many hispanic people have 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 gone to to war for this country and a lot of them have made it back and a lot of them have not so yes sir we thank you for your service thank you and whoever you get together with playing music bring them on back here with you okay i'd love to have you come in and play some music <laughs> for us that's the other well you you heard uh you know my guests playing the guitar here just beforehand so uh we we will love to have you in here playing well, uh, any you. kind Appreciate of music it. that uh and any friends that you want to bring with you okay mm -hmm. So. I'll have to test the dust off my horn. <laughs> no, we please had a, do. No, yes. we had a we had a a little combo at um, VA uh, uh, in, in Austin. Uh, in Austin, uh -huh. yes, and it was really nice because I hadn't picked up my horn since 2008. It really, 1974 is when I got off the road, mm -hmm. and then I started. I had bought my house and got involved with other things besides that i never from the world thought i would go back to playing right you were you were promoting you were getting other people to play yeah but well you promoting weren't. it was yes you're behind the scene on that right but the uh, playing gives you a different feeling exactly yes. way for a different feeling so when i started going to the music classes i told them i said I'm very rusty. And one guy said, later on, because I think about a year later, right before uh, they closed it down for the pandemic, he said, David, you weren't lying that you were rusty. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> he said, now you're, you're really, he said, and of course, it takes time. Yeah. But it was, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed going to that. What I really want to do, really, is I want to pick up a little two or three piece group and play at the church. That's what really what I want to do. There we go. Well, and we'll, we'll record you there, and then you can come in here, too, and play for us. Yeah, okay. I can do that. Well, <laughs> on, on behalf of Raices, we want to thank you for being on the show, and, and um, thank you for coming and telling well, us thank your you, story. Kelly, and thank uh, you, for inviting me. I'm more well, than glad to come back again. Sure. We'll have uh, Rodney's going to be on the show next week, and yes. we're going to talk about the influence of the uh, accordion. accordion, you know, brought to us uh, over by the Germans and how it influenced uh, a lot of our conjunto music. Yeah, so that would be really good. So thank you very much, Kathy Lauren, uh, David Montelongo. And uh, thank you for coming on in today. KZSM.org, True Community Radio. And uh, this has been Riasis. Thank you for tuning in. And coming up, we have some uh, encores here for you tonight. And I'll be back with you tomorrow.